0: Great to be with you this morning, and we're excited to start a new series together called "The Ghost," uh, which is meant to be a little bit provocative, but it's all about the Holy Spirit and uh, who the Spirit is and what the Spirit does in our lives and in the life of the church. And so, as we go through the series over these next couple of weeks, we'll actually begin the series this morning. We'll we'll end the series. On February 11th, as River's Edge and Soma become one church in one location. So we're both doing this series kind of in two locations uh, as two churches, and we'll end together as we close. But throughout this series, over the next five or six weeks, we're going to be thinking about the Holy Spirit and asking questions from Scripture Uh, And allowing ourselves to be challenged. How do you conceptualize and relate to the Holy Spirit? How do you uh, picture the Holy Spirit in your mind? How can we grow in our understanding and in our trust of the Holy Spirit? What does Jesus himself say to his disciples when it comes to the Holy Spirit in our lives? Uh, We'll be exploring those questions together through the lens of John chapters 14, 15, and 16. So we'll be camping out in those three chapters over these next couple of weeks. And we're going to start this morning in John 14, verse 9. So if you have a Bible, you can go ahead and turn there with me. Uh, for context, Jesus is having his final meal with his disciples. And the Gospel of John, if you remember, it wasn't that long ago, we did uh, covered every verse in the Gospel of John over the course of like a year and a half. And uh, we noted along the way that there are many unique things about the Gospel of John that are different I think it was 90% of the content of the Gospel of John is different than the other three uh, gospel accounts. And one of the unique things about John is that we really get a unique window into what happened at this final meal on the night that Jesus was betrayed. If you read the other gospel accounts, it it just kind of mentions the meal and the foot washing and maybe the act of kind of the first communion together, Uh, but it doesn't say much else about what happened there. Uh, This in John 14, 15, and 16, uh, Jesus actually goes into a long extended teaching with his disciples specifically about the Holy Spirit, who the Spirit is and uh, the importance of the Spirit in our lives. So in context, there, there it's actually a really sad moment. Jesus is saying, hey, I'm going to leave you guys. I'm going to go away. You won't see me anymore. And the disciples are just crestfallen, heartbroken. What do you mean? You're, you're, you're going to die? Where are you going? Uh, we, we don't know where you're going. We don't know the way to get there. Why would you do this to us? And no, no, no. I am the way. Trust me. Follow after me. Uh, and, and then at one point in here in this conversation, the disciples say, hey, we, we don't know where you're going. Why are you leaving us? And, and why can't you show us the Father? You keep talking about the Father and how you and the Father are one. If that's true, show us the Father. Like it, That'll be enough for us if we can see the Father in the midst of this uh, really heartbreaking situation that we're in. And that's what we're going to pick up in the middle of this sort of tense conversation, but it becomes the platform for Jesus to teach his disciples about the Holy Spirit who's going to be with them. So this is Jesus responding to his disciples, speaking of the relationship now. We get insight into what's the relationship between uh, me, Jesus is saying, and the Father, and also the Spirit. We're going to get a glimpse of into that in these verses. We're picking up in John 14, verse 9. It says, Jesus answered his disciples, Don't you know me, Philip, even after I have been among you such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves, on all all these miraculous things that have been happening. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask for anything in my name, and I will do it. Let's pray. Jesus, uh, I pray that as we begin the series this morning, and as we work through these verses, I pray that we would get the sense, Lord, of being uh, your disciples at your feet, as these original disciples were listening to the Son of God speak of uh, your Heavenly Father and our Heavenly Father, and also speaking of the Spirit, uh, who in their case was yet to come. I pray that we would receive from you, Lord, uh, with open hearts. Uh, the same way that these original disciples uh, were receiving from you. And yet, as we approach this topic, Lord, we recognize that we're all over the map, that some people are just hungry for more of you, hungry for more of the Holy Spirit. And uh, some people aren't. Uh, Some of us think, oh, I I feel just fine. I I don't feel like I need anything more in my relationship with God. I I don't need to uh, explore. Maybe the Holy Spirit is a... a, uh, is a topic that, that makes some of us nervous or uncertain or whatever it might be. So, Lord, would you use this morning, would you use this time to continue uh, opening our eyes to who the Spirit is? And, Lord, I pray as we see that, as we sense that, uh, I, I believe it's going to stir a hunger in our hearts, a, a, a thirst that maybe we weren't willing to recognize within ourselves uh, that comes to the surface as we uh, lean in, as we ask, as we seek, as we knock as we uh, grow in our love and understanding and our trust of who you are and who you are among us. So, Holy Spirit, we invite you into this time. Would you show yourself off this morning and in the weeks ahead, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. At the very heart of Christianity, a central to everything that we believe, is this idea of a triune God. Or the Trinity. Uh, That language actually doesn't appear in the Bible, uh, but this is a central core to everything that we believe. It's a a belief that the eternal God, who created the universe, who created everything that exists, but who himself is uncreated, that this God, eternal and uncreated, is both three and one. We believe that God is one. He is Yahweh, but God is also three, Father, Spirit, and Son. And this journey from a God who is one to a God who is three in one is actually a journey that we were forced to take as the world encountered Jesus of Nazareth. Before then, before Jesus was born in Bethlehem, as we celebrated last month, before that moment, it was really easy to just say, God is one. He is one in one. There's, there, it wasn't very complex. Uh, and uh, there were many people who believed that. In fact, uh, Muslims and Jews to this very day say, no, God is one and only one. And that's uh, the only way we could ever conceive of God. But it was when Jesus was uh, born into the world that we were uh, provoked into thinking about God in categories that we hadn't before. Because the first disciples stood face to face with something that was impossible, something that they didn't have a category for, something that almost felt blasphemous to, to see and acknowledge and proclaim. It broke all of the rules that they had set up in their minds. And yet, here he was, the eternal Son of God, in flesh and blood, talking to them, walking with them, performing miracles among them. Uh, Here was someone who was with God and who was God from the beginning, from all eternity. In the verses we just read, Jesus says, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. It is the Father living in me who is doing his work. I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. And in another place in John, he says even more blatantly, I and the Father are one. We're one. So Father and Son are one. They're one in the same, in a sense. And yet, in the same breath, Jesus can say, I came from the Father and I'm returning to the Father. So even in the way Jesus is talking to his disciples on this final night, you see, wait a second, you're one, but there's also a degree of separateness. Somehow you can come from the Father and return to the Father, even though you are one. And thus Jesus forced us to see Yahweh, the creator God, as both Father and Son, uh, co-eternal, co-substantial, co-equal, all the co's. But it was also Jesus who further pulled back the curtain and showed us the Spirit as well. We could have stopped there. Oh, God is uh, two and one. God is Father and Son, and they're both God and have been for all eternity. But it went further than that. He pulled back the curtain yet again and showed us the Spirit, often called uh, the Holy Spirit, or in some traditions, the Holy Ghost, or the Spirit of God. And he revealed to us that the Holy Spirit is also God. In the same way that the Father is God, in the same way that Jesus is God, he said, no, the Spirit has that same status. The Spirit uh, was around long before Bethlehem and Jesus being born into the world. In fact, if you go all the way back to the opening verses of Scripture, you'll see that it was the Spirit or the Holy Spirit or the Holy Ghost hovering over the waters in Genesis, uh, bringing forth life and order and beauty into God's good world. The the Spirit played a role in creation in creating life and sustaining life. But it continues right through the Old Testament. The Holy Spirit has been active ever since. He didn't just uh, create life. Uh, the Spirit actively sustains life and never left, has been active in creation ever since. But it was Jesus who revealed the Spirit as the third person of the Trinity. Uh, not just the, the hand of the Father or the breath of the Father uh, or a sensation that we feel when God draws near to us, but God Himself. So you know, the Spirit is Himself God and is with God. The things that we could say about Jesus and his divine status, we could also say about the Spirit. The Spirit is a person, co-equal, co-substantial with Father and Son. But when it comes to the Trinity, and we're thinking about Father, Son, and Spirit, I don't think I'm alone in thinking that the Holy Spirit or the Holy Ghost is the hardest to pin down. No one's ever seen the Father, but at the same time, the Father I can picture in my mind because we have fathers on earth. I'm a father. I have a category for that. I, oh, yeah, I, I, I get that. Father God. The Son I can also picture because Jesus was here and walked among us. And I don't know if they're accurate or not, but we paint pictures of Jesus. And what he looked like, and we have him in stained glass windows. Oh, the sun. Oh, I I get it. I can I can picture Jesus. I understand the sun. And not only that, but we have sons on earth. Some of us only have sons on earth. Okay, I have a category for that. I I personally know what it is to be a father and to have a son, but the spirit, ah, I don't know. Who or what is the Spirit? It gets a little blurry in my mind. I can't really picture the Holy Spirit. It's sort of blurry. And the very concept of, of who and what the Spirit is and what the Spirit does is, is harder for me to pin down. Is the Spirit an impersonal force like Star Wars? omnipresent, dwelling in every living thing, responding to those who have the highest metachlorian count? Is he an impersonal force, or is the Spirit more personal than that? How personal is the Spirit? Is the Spirit like the breath of God, or the hand of God, or what we feel when God draws near? I'm not quite sure. Should I talk to the Spirit? Should I pray to the Spirit? Or should I just pray to Jesus and the Father? Is the Spirit different than the Father? Is the Spirit different than Jesus? If so, how different is the Spirit from Father and Son? Or is the Spirit sort of just the Spirit of Jesus come to the church? Is the Spirit a person or a force? Is the Spirit a he or an it? Is the Spirit more like water or more like fire? Does the Spirit come to do miracles among us or just to help us understand Scripture better? Do I have to invite the Spirit, or do I already have the Spirit? Sometimes it feels a little bit blurry. I'm not really sure. At one point in his earthly ministry, Jesus was with his disciples in a place called Caesarea Philippi, and it was a carnival for Roman worship of the false pagan gods. It was a place of uh, great power and influence, a very imposing place. In fact, one of the more famous, this is just one of the places of worship within Caesarea Philippi, one of the more well-known ones, uh, was built around a cave opening. And in this giant cave, there was this uh, bubbling pool of water that was said to be a channel or, or a passage to the underworld. And so one of the ways you would worship in the ancient pagan world is that uh, children would be sacrificed in this pool, in the midst of this giant cave, and this passage to the underworld, and they called it the gates of hell. And depending on how the pool responded to your sacrifice, that meant something in the ancient world. And yet right in the middle of this uh, dark carnival, right in the center of Roman uh, pagan power, Jesus turned to his disciples and asked them, who do people say that I am? Well, some say John the Baptist, and some say Elijah, and some say one of the other prophets who's come back from the dead. He turns to his disciples and says, "And what about you? Who do you say I am?" And in context, Peter says, "You are the Son of God." It's the first and clearest articulation of Jesus' identity by any of his disciples in any of the gospel accounts, right there in the midst of that place, in the shadow of the gates of hell. Jesus says, Peter, that's true. And I didn't tell you that. Other people didn't tell you that. God revealed that to you, maybe through the Holy Spirit. And and Peter, you are a rock. And on this rock, God's going to build his church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. It's a stunning scene in the gospel accounts. But as I was preparing for the teaching this morning, I almost sensed the Lord saying the same thing to us. In the midst of our secular society, filled with all sorts of mixed up ideas, dominated by forces that sometimes feel uh, much louder and more powerful than the inbreaking kingdom of God. In the midst of uh, our secular carnival, it's almost as if Jesus is saying, uh, who do people say the Spirit is? What are people saying about the Holy Spirit? Oh, well, some think the Spirit is withdrawn completely, and some say the Spirit is like the force, and it's impersonal, and others say the Spirit just helps us understand the Bible. And I can almost imagine Jesus turning to us and saying, what about you? Who do you say the Holy Spirit is? Hmm. I I don't know. I'm not entirely sure. And hence the series that we're beginning this morning. It's Jesus who ultimately reveals the Spirit to us and who highlights the Spirit as the third person of the Trinity, a person, not just a force, And here are just a few of the things that the Bible says about the Spirit. This is not an exhaustive list, but I want you to get a a snapshot of what the Bible says about the Spirit. Uh, First, the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. Again, we made up that language, but Jesus forces us into that place. Whose divinity is shown in his equality with the Father and the Son, and even by his name, the Spirit of God. The Spirit is all-knowing or omniscient, if I could say that word, which I can't, Uh, omnipresent and omnipotent and eternal. This is all what we see in Scripture. The Spirit is God and fully knows the thoughts of God, is filled with the holiness of God, and proceeds forth from the Father and the Son. The Spirit was active in creation, verse 2 of your Bibles. And we also see that the Spirit is active in generating life and carrying creation to its completion, creating and sustaining life and the breath within us. The Spirit is a person with intellect, a will, a mind, and emotion. And as just one example of that, we're told that the Spirit can be grieved by our actions. The Spirit uh, teaches. Again, these are personal things that a person would do, but an impersonal force wouldn't. The Spirit teaches, guides, hears, speaks, loves, and comforts. The Spirit works in us in regeneration and sanctification. Uh, He helps us, convicts us, calls us, and enlightens us or opens our minds to greater understanding of God. The Spirit baptizes people into Christ's body when we give our lives to Him. The Spirit seals us for the day of resurrection and assures us of our salvation. How do we know that we're saved? How do we know that Jesus is coming back? The Holy Spirit plays a a major role in that. The Spirit fills and empowers believers in proportion to their receptiveness and produces fruit in our lives, the fruit of the Spirit. The Spirit performs miracles, confirming the truth of the gospel. The gospel is uh, mostly words being shared, but it's not only words being shared. The Spirit actually wants to do stuff in our midst to confirm that truth. The Spirit, uh, we're told, inspired the writing of Scripture. The Spirit prays for us and with us. The Spirit leads us into the truth. In fact, uh, more than anywhere else in the chapters we're going to study, Jesus calls the Holy Spirit the Spirit of Truth. That's not common cover to cover, but here he was really highlighting he's the spirit of truth who leads us into the truth, who points to the truth, and seeks to glorify Jesus in everything that he does. The spirit promotes unity and fellowship among us. He also empowers the church for worship and ministry. Uh, The spirit gives gifts, including people, talents, supernatural abilities, and spiritual gifts, to equip the church. To carry out its purposes in the world. And there's more. There's a lot more that you could find in Scripture that speaks of the Spirit or the Holy Spirit. But just with this snapshot, you begin to get a sense of why Jesus says the Holy Spirit is so vital. If if we miss out on the Holy Spirit, we actually miss out on a lot. Because there's a lot that he wants to do, there's a lot that he wants to stir, there's a lot that he wants to give to us. The Holy Spirit is vital to the church, being who the church is supposed to be, and being on the mission of God. In fact, we'll look at this later in the series, but Jesus actually tells his disciples, they've, they know him, they've been with him for years, they've seen him crucified, they've seen him resurrected. Few people in all of human history can say that. And yet Jesus says, stay in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit comes. In other words, you're not ready to be my witnesses in the world. You're not equipped. You're not prepared until the Holy Spirit comes and fills you. Because life with God is about more than information. Oh, I've seen this. I've seen that. No, it's actually, we need the Holy Spirit. He's that vital to God's church in the world. And in the verses we read this morning, Jesus says, Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me, will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father. And the implication when you read through these chapters is that uh, if I go to the Father, Jesus says, the Father will send the Spirit, and that's better for you. It's actually better for you. He says in another place, you should be glad. If you really understood what was happening... You wouldn't be sad at our final meal. You would be glad. Because after cross and resurrection, I'm going to the Father, and he will send the Holy Spirit, and that's better for you. That's how significant the Holy Spirit is. I think I would rather have Jesus here. Honestly, like most days, if I'm like, Jesus could walk in the door, and Jesus could teach, and he, he, he could do all the stuff we see him doing in the Gospels, that looks really, really good to me. But Jesus says, no, it's actually better for you that I leave and that the Spirit comes. The Spirit of God is that important to life with God, to the church, to God's mission in the world, to be the people that we're called to be. So we see that the Spirit is is absolutely central, is vital to life with God and the mission of God, and yet the Spirit is also controversial. from the very beginning, the Spirit shows up and is poured out at Pentecost for the first time, there's already controversy. I think these people are drunk. What? No, they couldn't be drunk. It's 9 a.m. We're not drunk. There's already like, the moment the Spirit falls, there's controversy. And you can see this throughout church history. In fact, one of the uh, more significant moments in church history, in my mind, is when the Eastern Church and the Western Church split. For a thousand years more or less, there was one church on earth. It was just the church of Jesus. This is the way. This is what we do. I know that's weird now because of the Mandalorian, but it, they actually said, this is the way. We are, we're the way. Uh, and, and it was like that. There was one church that was the church of Jesus, the way of Jesus in the world, a thousand years into that journey, there was the first major split or rupture in the church was the split of the Eastern church and the Western church. And the stated reason that the church split was over the Holy Spirit. Uh, One half of the church was saying, no, we believe that the Spirit comes from the Father and the Son, proceeds from them to our midst. And the other said, no, the, the Holy Spirit just proceeds from the Father. And to us, that probably sounds like a silly controversy, but the entire church ruptured and split, and it's still split today. You have the Eastern Orthodox Church still going on as it has, and you have the Western Church or the Roman Catholic Church. They're they're separate now. And there were probably some other power dynamics and, and political ideas and different struggles bubbling beneath the surface that led to that. But the stated reason that East and West split, the reason they told the world is we don't agree on the Holy Spirit. There's controversy surrounding that. Fast forward another thousand years to today, I think there's still controversy surrounding the Holy Spirit in the church. What's the Spirit supposed to be doing among us? How much of the Spirit is supposed to be here? How do we relate to the Spirit? How do we seek the Spirit? What should be our expectation surrounding the Spirit? Should we all be speaking in tongues? Should any of us be speaking in tongues? I, I don't know. Oh, that's too much of the spirit. Oh, oh, that's not enough of the spirit. Oh, the Holy Spirit should be doing this stuff. It shouldn't be doing that stuff. Oh, it should look like this. It shouldn't look like that. There's still controversy today. And yet, in the midst of all that tension and that controversy. We can open the pages of Scripture, we can sit at the feet of Jesus, and we can recognize, wow, we need the Holy Spirit. I, I don't have all the answers, Lord, and I don't know what it's supposed to look like, and I don't always know what's holding us back. But when we open up Scripture, we can see from the words of Jesus and the life of Jesus, wow, we, life will not be complete without the Holy Spirit. We, we need Him in our lives in our families, in in our church body. And so we can see as we open it up, wow, there's this great power that's available to us. But we're not always sure how to access that power. Uh, Wow, there's all this stuff the Spirit should be doing, but I'm not really sure how to get from point A to point B. Uh, we, We see this relationship that Jesus had with the Father, this unity that they enjoyed. But we aren't always sure if that type of life is really available to us. Can I enjoy that type of union with God? Can I walk in the presence of the Lord? Can I grow in my awareness of God's presence with us over time? I I see that in Scripture. I don't know if that life is actually available to me. How do I do that? How do I walk with an awareness of his presence? Oh, we, we open the pages of Scripture and we hear Jesus saying, hey, whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing and even greater things than these. <laughs> what? I, I'm not sure if that's how I would describe my life with God. Oh, yeah, the Gospels are okay, but you should see what happens in our church. Uh, I don't. Think we're there yet. So, what is what do you mean, Jesus? What what was your vision? I'm not always sure how to manage my expectations around that. Can I really experience an increasing union with God and say some of the things that Jesus said? Can can I see some of the works that Jesus was doing and even greater things than those? I don't know. But even as we ask those questions, I think Jesus would say the answer is yes. These are the this is God's heart. These are the things that God intended. Through the power and presence of the Spirit, a whole new world becomes available to us. Through the Holy Spirit, sinful, rebellious people are reborn as new creations. Romans 8 says the Spirit brings about our adoption into the family of God. You are made new, part of His family, a son or a daughter. It's through the Holy Spirit that we gain access to a whole new type of life, a new type of authority, a new type of power by the grace of God. It's through the Holy Spirit that we can experience an ongoing awareness of God. That we can have a unique relationship with Him. That we can turn our attention to Him constantly throughout our day. And He will be there. He's actually real and with you. Because of the Holy Spirit. It's uh, through the Holy Spirit that we have access to the God who will never leave us and never forsake us. It's through the Holy Spirit that flawed, imperfect, double-minded people like us can enjoy a peace and a power that we didn't earn. Paul says this, the Holy Spirit doesn't do miracles among you because of the works of the law. It's by grace from start to finish. I don't know about you, but I don't feel very qualified. And if I just think, oh, okay, we want to see the stuff that Jesus did We want to see that here in our church. We want to see that here in Spokane. My first thought is, uh, no, I'm not qualified. I'm not uh, holy enough. I'm not good enough. I don't feel very spiritual. Most days, I just don't like, Lord, how's that supposed to happen? He says, no, no, it's not about who you are. It's about who he is. It's about the grace of God. It's in His grace that we receive the Holy Spirit, that we operate in the Spirit. We don't have to work ourselves up into something. We don't have to reach a certain level uh, of maturity in order to receive the Holy Spirit. It's through the Holy Spirit and the grace of God that we receive uh, gifts, roles, and manifestations of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit does stuff in us and through us and among us, not because we've earned something, not because we've made it to a certain place, but purely by his grace. He says, I'm going to pour out my spirit. and the new covenant, I'm going to pour out my spirit on everybody. Men, women, doesn't matter your age, your maturity level. If you're in Christ, you have access to the Holy Spirit. I want to pour that out on you. Not because of who we are, but because of who he is. First Corinthians 12 says it this way. Says there are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Now, to each one, to everyone, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one, there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by the same, by means of the same Spirit, to another, faith by the same Spirit, to another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit, to another, miraculous powers, to another, prophecy, to another, distinguishing between spirits, to another, speaking in different kinds of tongues, and, and still another, interpretation of tongues. All of these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and He distributes them to each one just as he determines. That's just one of many passages that speak about the Spirit's activity among us, but you can hear the language. The Spirit wants to give something to everyone, and slightly different things to everyone, and it's not about your age or your maturity level or, or your holiness or, or whatever it might be. It's the Spirit distributes to each one just as he desires. As we say, Lord, I, I want you. I want this, I want to experience a deeper life with you than I'm experiencing right now. I want to know Jesus in a deeper way than I'm experiencing right now. And the Holy Spirit responds. It comes, touches, fills, and stirs things among us. This is uh, some of the stuff that the Spirit does. As one person in the Trinity, Working in and through the body of Christ that is God's church in the world. This is just what the Spirit does. Do we believe that? That the Spirit can do all of this stuff in us and through us? I mean, do we really believe that? Is the Spirit capable of those things? Can we do some of the same works that Jesus did? I mean, is that really possible for us? Is that within our grasp? I don't know. I feel pretty normal. I don't feel particularly worthy. I don't feel, most days, I don't feel particularly inspired. Jesus says, no, it's the Holy Spirit who's going to come and do these things, who's going to meet you right where you're at with all of your own stuff, with all of your own doubts, with all of your own wounds, with all of your own reservations. The Spirit's going to come to you. You don't have to climb your way to heaven. The Spirit's going to come to you and meet you just where you're at, just the way you are, and and begin doing these things in your life but Lord, what about this? What about this? What about these other things? I have all these reasons why this stuff shouldn't happen or couldn't happen or won't happen. I can imagine Jesus coming to us and saying, what about you? Who do you say the Holy Spirit is? What do you, what do you really believe about the nature of God and the power and presence of God with us? These are the questions we're going to be contemplating in the weeks that lie ahead. Uh, For now, I'm just going to pray for us and just pray for more of the Holy Spirit in our lives and the life of our church body. And then we'll go from there. And before I pray, I, I just want to read this passage from the Gospel of Luke. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples. Says So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? What we're doing this morning and in the weeks ahead, and seeking and asking and knocking and saying, Lord, we want more of you. As we pray those prayers, I want us to picture our heavenly father above and behind those prayers, who's better than any earthly father that you could imagine. He says, I want to do this for you. You don't have to beg me. You don't have to jump through the right hoops. I want to give you more of myself. I want you to know me on a deeper level. I want to do stuff among you that I'm not doing right now. So when you come and ask for bread, when you come and ask for an egg, when you come and just say, Lord, I don't even know how to ask, but I just want more of the Holy Spirit. God is faithful to come and meet us where we're at. This is what he wants to do. Jesus says, when you pray for things that are in line with my name, that are in line with my nature, that are on my heart, I will do those things for you. Not because of of you because of me, because this is what I desire to do in my church. Let's pray.